Today, just for fun, we're going to explore two different kinds of motorcycle travel. One, a husband and wife that head off each day on their own adventure and then meet up for camp. And then a captain of a super yacht that unloads his motorcycle at every port they stop in to go off and explore the country by motorcycle. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Sam Mannix, Ed Simon, Austin Venn, Simon Payne, Bill Dragoon, Helga Pedersen, Jason Snow, Charlie Borman, Simon Thomas, Grant Johnson, Jim Lewis, Chris Birch, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com If you were to meet up with Sean Birch, maybe standing outside of a grocery store and he's standing there with his motorcycle, you start to chat with him about bikes, there's some things that would become apparent right away. One, he buys and restores and sells old motorcycles. Two, he owns a lot of motorcycles that he likes to work on and fix up. But you'd quickly realize that Sean is not only just a motorcycle enthusiast, he's an aficionado about motorcycles as well as the culture that is weaved into them. We had Sean on Adventure Rider Radio a while back talking about how he was gifted a motorcycle from somebody he had met on a motorcycle forum and how he now uses it to explore and, and travel Europe. That was, a, by the way, that episode was a huge fraternity of motorcyclists, Sean Birch. Well, today, Sean is telling us about a new method of traveling by motorcycle that he's trying out, which includes his wife coming along for the ride, even though she's not on his motorcycle. I'm Sean Birch. I'm from Edgefield, South Carolina, and I work for a large Seattle-based coffee company. Sean, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be back. I'd forgot about the the large Seattle-based coffee company, which I, th- <laughs> I think we're talking, I mean, you're being very generic there, but are we talking Starbucks? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. I thought so. Yeah, I remember that. What yeah. do you do for Starbucks? Uh, I'm the maintenance buyer. I buy all the uh, spare parts. Oh, right. And you get free coffee with that, of course, right? There's got to be some sort we of perks. Ha- <laughs> we actually do. Actually, my wife and I both work there. And you get, uh, as an employee, you get one free pound a week. You not only work at a, a coffee company, you are also a motorcyclist. You do all kinds of riding. We, we talked before, you, you did trips uh, in Europe. Matter of fact, I think somebody, you, you did so many trips in Europe and got to know people, somebody ended up giving you a bike on the last one, you and another fellow, right? That's that's exactly right. We, right. Uh, I've, I've got a uh, ST1300 that stays in, uh, in, in England, and that's what we go over every year and, and tour uh, up until the pandemic. We go over and, and tour Europe every year in the summer. 
Right, which is a pretty cool way to do it. Uh, having the bike sitting there for you, obviously you've got to work out with, with someone to keep the bike. So yeah, it's sitting there for you and you just show up and go for a ride. I mean, that's a pretty nice setup. Yeah, it always has been. I mean, it, it's it's actually, I mean, you, you can't beat it because it's so expensive to rent a bike or, you know, trying to ship a bike. But to, to have one sitting there and have friends, you know, nice enough to keep it, you know, ready to go when you get ready for it. That's, that's definitely a privilege, no doubt. Oh yeah. And, and it, it's the logistics part of it really is, you know, you want to go on a vacation. All you worry about is loading your gear on the plane <laughs> and, that's, and, and yeah. then going, and then you've got people there for support and everything. I love that. But recently you've done something different. You did a trip closer to home and you did a, you did a different method for this trip. So um, let, let's talk about this is what was your mode of travel? What did you, what did you come up with? I took a, 1997 Suzuki DR350, and I took it around a loop around uh, South Carolina and the state I live. Uh, there's a loop called the South Carolina Adventure Route. So uh, I decided that I've been wanting to do this, uh, been wanting to do this loop, and and I thought I had a spare week of vacation. I said, you know, this would be a good time to do it, and and went out. The loop runs right by my house, so it was easy to get on it. It's about a thousand miles. And, and I took six days to do it. And it was, uh, it was, it was neat on a, on a little small, just on a little small 250 or 350. I mean, it's, it's a, it was a great trip. But you did it in the, the Charlie and Ewan way, right? Because you, you had, you had a backup van following you while you did that, this route. That's right. That's right. Well, I, I might be not quite as posh as, uh, as Charlie <laughs> and Ewan, but, but yeah, in, in a, in a way, uh, my wife, uh, she she was kind of home base for me, not so much following me as as a support vehicle, as as a support vehicle, but she would meet me uh, every night at, at a camp, a designated camp spot. Yeah, right. So, so th- this is actually not at all like the, the support vehicle, Charlie and you, and it's it's not at all like that. What it is, you, you've you've worked out a way to include your wife on your adventure, or at least both of you, rather, I guess probably the better way to say is both of you having an adventure out of this trip that you want to do with your bike, which I think is very cool. It's a good way to do it. Now, does your wife ride? Uh, She only rides pillion. She doesn't ride her own bike. Okay. So she rides pillion and you're going to be doing a lot of dirt stuff. Was that the reason or did she just have no interest in this loop? Uh, No, it's not that. It's just that uh, I've taken her uh, two up off-road. In fact, we did two or three sections of the uh, Mid-Atlantic BDR a couple of years ago. And, and yeah, it's a little sketchy on, uh, you know, some of the sections uh, riding two up. So it's not that she wasn't interested in it. It's just that I have found that it is way more enjoyable to do things like that solo. Mm. Did your wife have a plan on this? Like, was she going to do it just to be there for the camping or was she actually getting something out of the road as well with this? Well, actually, she she likes to gravel ride on uh, on bicycles. She's actually she's part of a race team actually where she uh, races gravel bikes. That's gotten to be a really big thing because she started off riding uh, road bikes and and got really involved in it and and started racing some with with that. But in the last few years, gravel riding has gotten so big, and and the difference between gravel bikes and mountain bikes is usually gravel bikes are just like road bikes with no suspension, uh, but maybe a little bit more aggressive tire, a little wider tire that are specifically made for the gravel roads, but not with suspension like mountain bikes. Not, not like, you know, it's not, not as much technical, like, you know, the, the jumps and usually the things you see associated with, with 
with mountain biking. Well, she does that. So our plan was when we, when I put this together, I was like, okay, I'll start this loop. And I knew this loop, you know, if I did, you know, a couple hundred miles a day, it's going to take me several hours to do a couple hundred miles a day. I said, why don't, you know, you load the van up and take your bike. And then when you get to camp, then go find some gravel roads and, and, and go ride your gravel bike. And then I'll make my way to, to, to camp. And hopefully I get there without incident, but if I need you, I'll give you a call and uh, you can come, uh, come rescue me somewhere if I, if I need it. So, so that's kind of what she got out. It, it was kind of, uh, it was kind of something for both of us. I could enjoy spend all day riding my, uh, the little dual sport and then she could be out, you know, riding a gravel bike. And then we just meet up at the end of the day, uh, at camp. That's yeah, that, that works out really well. Now I didn't realize that she was off riding a bicycle during your ride. So you're both getting something out of this. You're both getting a, a, an adventure. You're both getting a vacation out of it. She's delivering or she's driving the van to the camp spot because of that, you're not carrying a lot of gear with you. That's right. That's the biggest thing it did for me is, you know, if I'd have taken my, um, my V-Strom or if I'd taken the, the R1150 GSA, plenty of room to pack stuff if you're going to camp and, and, and do six or seven day loop like this. But on the, uh, on the DR350, I basically, I took uh, an extra gallon of gas. I took uh, the Green Chili Adventures uh, Z-Drag recovery system in case I got stuck somewhere and needed to recover by myself. And then I also had a tank bag that carried like some rain gear and a few extra things with me, but I did not have to pack for camping. So mm-hmm. it was really great to just be, you know, real minimalist on what I had on the bike. And then, cause you, you know, you, you've ridden off road with an ADV bike and, and you've got it overloaded and it's, it's tough enough to, to keep it going. So it's so much nicer when somebody else has taken all your camping gear for you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So how did it all work out in, in the end? What did your wife think of the experience? Was she, was she happy with it? Was it a good vacation for her? She really was. She loved it. She thought it was great. Uh, we had a great time, which we really like camping. You know, we, we've got a, a four wheel drive sprinter van that we bought last year. And we've really just been into uh, going camping on the weekends with it. You know, we do a lot of gravel biking with it and I've got it set up where I can haul a motorcycle on the back. So I'm able to do some motorcycling wherever we go. So, so she enjoyed that part, but she, she drove the van. She set up camp every day and then, you know, broke it down every morning. When I would leave, she'd break down camp and and then go to the next spot. Cause where it would take me, you know, six or seven hours of riding to get to where I wanted to go that night she could get there in just a couple hours going over the highway. So the, you said you put the bike on the back. Was that why you got the DR three fifty to go on the back of the sprinter van? No, not exactly. Uh, I actually just bought it, uh, to learn to, to ride off road, uh, a little bit better because, you know, I had, I'd bought the R1150 GS from a friend of mine and that's really what got me interested in in dual sport riding or riding off road. But it's such a big bike, such a heavy bike that it's just really hard to learn on something that big. I mm. mean, you end up you know dropping it and picking it up a lot. So I was looking for something smaller to learn and kind of hone my skills. And it just so happened I've got a friend of mine named Floyd Finch that he he's kind of in the same um, business as I am as far as hobby business. We have you know we both get antique motorcycles and restore them and buy and sell them. So he had bought this bike. He had saved it from the scrap heap, I think, and rebuilt it completely uh, and was enjoying riding it. But he ended up having a spark problem, ended up losing spark and he fought with it and he just got sick of it. And he told me, he said, Hey, if you want something smaller to learn on, if you want a project, 
I'll sell you, I'll sell it to you for like half of what I got in it. So he he sold it to me for like six hundred bucks, and uh, I did a little did a little tinkering on it, figured out that it needed the new CDI, and and ordered one. And got it running and, and really just was enjoying it. I was riding around uh, the gravel roads here where I live in South Carolina and and really enjoying it. And and just it, it's it's so much fun, especially after you've ridden a big bike for so long. You know, getting on that smaller bike, especially off-road, it's so much more maneuverable and, and so much lighter. And if you do, you, you're less likely to drop it. But if you do drop it, it's so much nicer to pick it up than it is, you know, a thousand pounds of BMW. You yeah. know. It's, it's so much more forgiving, isn't it? You know, exactly. I, this is why, you know, Clinton Smote always teaches people on small bikes, you know, or often does. He helps people come and he'll start them off on small bikes because it's just much, so much more forgiving. And like you said, the, the chance of you going down is even less being a, a lighter bike. But I'm curious about you, you mentioned about putting this, uh, you have the van set up to go on the back, the motorcycle to go on the back of the van. Can you talk about that? How, how did you do that? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of companies that sell uh, carriers that fit in your hitch, and as long as your bike is is light enough, then then it's not too big of a deal. the The biggest bike I put on our carrier is my V-Strom. My V-Strom weighs about four fifty, and the hitch limit on on the carrier I've got, I think I got it for. I think I actually ordered it off Amazon. I think it's called a Black Widow, and it, it's it's rated up to six hundred pounds. So the, the V-Strom that I've got is probably the biggest bike I would recommend putting on the back of one. I've seen people with with bigger bikes, but I, I wouldn't do it. But but I've got the, um, the V-Strom that I haul on the back. I've also got a, a Honda Helix 250 a scooter, the, you know, the big step-through scooter. And mainly we, you know started taking those with us just so when you go somewhere and you park in the, in the, you know, you park and you get set up. If you want to go out to dinner or if you need to go get groceries or something, instead of having to break down camp and, and drive somewhere or, or make sure you get it on the way in, then it makes it real convenient. The hitch style that you're talking about is a, is a receiver style hitch. It goes into your square box receiver style hitch on the van. And everyone I've seen has a maximum of 600 pounds, the same as yours. They just... It seems like an awful lot of weight to put on a little two by two inch square um, piece of tubing to go in. But I mean, obviously it works. And I've been curious about it because I've been thinking of the same thing. It'd be a great way to haul your bike with you when you go somewhere. It's just that every time I look at them, they just, they don't look like they're all that stable. That It seems like an awful lot of weight going in one, in one tiny little hitch. Are you putting any other tie downs or anything on it to, to stabilize it more? Uh. Not really. I mean, the, the it's built to have tie downs for the bike. Of course, it's built. It's got four yeah. tie down points for the bike. But as far as bracing it any other way, no. I've seen other people that want to carry heavier bikes. I have seen them put like auxiliary uh, braces on those to kind of give it more stability. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm gonna tell you, I've I've taken that V-Strom. I mean, down some pretty gnarly roads in the mountains. Uh, you know, kind of off road, and and you know, it, it'll shake a little bit from side to side, but it's really, it's really well built. When you're saying take the V stream, you're talking about when it's on the van. When you're, you're saying yeah, you're talking yeah. about driving down with the van, yeah. yeah. So it shakes yeah, around when it's on, the, on van. the van, right? Right, right. Yeah, it shakes around, but it's it's never it's never worried me as far as the stability. But I do know what you mean, though. I mean, it does it does seem like a lot of weight sitting on kind of a small yeah. piece of metal, but it's it really it's really well. built built. It, it's really well built. Oh, and I mean, I know there's different, different companies that make different ones, but I've never felt unsafe with it or that it would, you know, would, would possibly fall off or break. And, and, you know, is I think it's more important too, that the tow vehicle you're using 
is also built for it. I mean, I, you know, my, my sprinter four wheel drive is a, uh, is a 2,500. It's uh, it's got real beefy suspension. It's uh, it's got a real beefy uh, toe hitch, uh, receiver hitch mm-hmm. uh, already. So, so I think that's the most important thing is just making sure that the, that the vehicle is attached to is built to handle that weight because actually on the back of our, uh, I'd see some pictures, but on the back of our van, we have uh, usually a motorcycle and two bicycles and a gas can on the back as well. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's quite a bit, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the truth is, the the truth is, is that most of the bikes that I have, I I don't have enough money in them to worry about whether if it totals out the bike, then I've got another one at home or I can rebuild that one or I'll go buy another one. So I I try to buy them, I try to buy them cheap enough where, you know, it's, I'm not hauling a new uh, 1250 GS on the back of it. Right. And that is the great thing, isn't it? I mean, about not getting into that because it's, it's, I mean, it's beautiful. If you can afford to, to get a brand new, you know, whatever you want, that's great. It is wonderful, but it's a lot of investment and it's a lot of loss. If anything goes wrong, we talk about this with travel, you, you know, you're almost better off and certainly with travel because your insurance won't cover you for that, for going into other countries in most other countries anyway. Um, you're better off with a vehicle that you could walk away from, you know? So if something right. happened to your, your motorcycle, you're, you're not going to have to pay for it for the next 10 years um, because it was so expensive. That, that's right. That's what we say. Throw it in the gutter and go buy another. That's exactly what you do. <laughs> so you mentioned that um, your whole idea here was to go on the, the South Carolina adventure route. What is the South Carolina adventure route or SCAR as they call it? <laughs> Okay, the South Carolina Adventure Route is a a route put together by a guy named Chris Cox. Uh, he's uh, retired out of the military, lives in South Carolina now, and he got into ADV riding, uh, was introduced by another friend of his uh, that lived in North Carolina, and and they used to take trips like they would. They did part of they did the eastern part of the Trans America Trail, and and they've done like, some of the BDR. Uh, routes and and he got to thinking in in 2019 he was like man it would be it'd be nice if there was something closer you know something in South Carolina that you could you know have like an adventure route so you know something like uh you know like the the tat or or a BDR so he just got to doing a little research he said he, he said he sat down with uh with Garmin base map and also with the uh, Google satellite view and he would look at a route and then he would look on the satellite view and see what it looked like and he would piece it together. And then the the more complicated it got, he started, he put a, uh, a group together on Facebook and he kind of crowdsourced it. He kind of put out and said, okay, I'm trying to put this route together near where you live. Where are some cool roads that we can kind of connect? So people started feeding this information and he started uh, piecing it together. So sometime in 2020, he had a whole loop done, and and what's neat about it in, in South Carolina, we're we're pretty blessed that we have a, a good many dirt and gravel roads, and we have mountains, and we have uh, the coast, and and we have sand, and and so it, it worked out that we ended up with about eleven hundred mile loop. That you know, it's it's some on road. It's it's about fifty fifty, or, or or maybe even a little less uh, gravel than pavement, but. But it's a lot like the BDR. I've ridden, you know, a couple of sections of the BDR, and it's a lot like a BDR where, you know, the paved roads are kind of quiet and they get you to the gravel roads. And then the gravel roads have different levels of, of challenge, you know, depending on, on, on what they are and where they are. And, and so in that way, it's, 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 it's very similar. But it, he, he just, you know, he just was a, was a rider that, that wanted to do something where it would be closer to home and ended up putting it together. And, and like I say, in 2020, he ended up with a completed route. 
and it's been out there ever since. And he 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 posts. He's got a website. You know, you can download the the GPX files, uh, and then it's it's like I say, it's just something that you know he, he's like I am. I mean, you just try to do something to promote promote the sport you love, uh, and and he put it together, and it's I'm, I'm, I'm glad he did. So, and you mentioned the the website. So he's got maps on there and everything that shows the the route. It's it's just just like one of the BDR routes. So w- with this, when you when you looked at this, what were your expected challenges specifically, like terrain, obstacles, lack of fuel, water crossings, when you were planning it? Well, it, the good thing is it goes right by my house. It actually, I mean, where I live at in Edgefield, South Carolina, the route actually comes right by my house. I mean, I'm I'm two hundred. Two three hundred yards uh, from the end of my driveway, I can be on <laughs> on, nice. on the route. Uh, but yeah, it's um, you know gravel roads and and dirt roads, especially in South Carolina, they have different levels of upkeep. I guess by the state, they're all state roads. They're all either state or forest service roads. Um, and and you know there, there's some some decent hard packed gravel, you know, beautifully maintained, and then. Uh, there's some that, you know, have a good many washouts. Uh, you know, if it's a hard rain, you'll end up with some some good mud holes or, or, or washouts. Um, you know, the upper part of the state, like from where I live, which is about midway up the uh, west side of South Carolina along the Georgia border, from, from where I live up to the mountains, uh, all of the off-road of that is really good gravel. Like I say, there are some washouts and there are some uh, some mud holes but for the most part, it's all very doable gravel. And, and it's, it's, you know, really, uh, I'd say, you know, entry level type stuff. Uh, and then when you get up to the mountains uh, around Mountain Rest, South Carolina, going over to uh, the other side of the state along the North Carolina border, um, you get into a little more gnarly gravel up there. Sometimes it's fairly deep and marbly. And then sometimes you get to where there's, uh, it's almost like aggregate, almost like baby head uh, type gravel. Uh, and there's some water crosses, not nothing too extreme, nothing like like the BDR uh, water crosses. There, you know, depending on the amount of rain we get, uh, you do have some water crosses, but most of them were pretty mild. Um, but the real challenge on this route is when you start coming back down from the mountains on the east side of the state. When you start coming back down to what we call the sand hills and and the and the low country. And that's where the sand starts. And you know as much as I do, nobody likes sand. So there, there are definitely places uh, that it, it's, it gets real squirrely. It gets real technical with deep sand. Uh, and it's, it's definitely that, – that's actually what, what – when I first started this trip, I actually was – I invited some friends of mine to go that don't own off-road bikes. I said, well, look, I, my one friend, I said, I'll loan you the DR350 and I'll take the V-Strom. Um, but then, uh, then I had another friend that was going to come as well. He thought about, he might come. I said, well, good. I'll give you the V-Strom and then I'll take the, the BMW. And I would not have done this trip, uh, solo on a big bike because you know, you're going to drop it eventually. You know, you're going to have some time. You're going to have to pick it up. But with, when you got some help, you don't mind trying. Like I said, I would have done it on my BMW, uh, if I'd have had somebody there going with me to, to help me pick it up and to help me get through the, the bad parts. But when since I was going solo, I, I definitely knew the 350 was the way to go. So you, you did mention there earlier, you said that it, that way, if you had a problem, you could call your wife. So I'm curious about this emergency plan. You mentioned you've got the Z-Drag system from Green Chili. Great system. It's all straps. Nice thing about that system is it's all set up for you already. You don't have to remember how the Z-Drag works. 
you just go and hook it up to a tree and then hook it up to your bike and, and start pulling. And, and if you're by yourself, that's going to be your, your only recourse is just that. But, but what is your emergency plan? Are you carrying an in-reach? Is it just a cell phone? Do you have cell coverage? All, all of that. What did you do? No, I carry a spot, uh, the spot X. That's the two-way communicator. I carry, I've had that with me for uh, I carry that for a couple of years. I've carried a spot for about, Oh, I don't know, 10 or 12 years, uh, especially when I first started riding over in Europe. I really liked the, uh, the idea of the spot, you know, because people can track you as well. People can can kind of if they're worried about you and they hadn't heard from you in a while, they can kind of watch your progress. Uh, but when they when they came out with the Spot X, where you could uh, actually do two way communication, where you could receive and send messages, uh, I got one of those. And because there are a lot of places on the uh, on the Scar Loop that you won't have good cell coverage, especially in the mountains. Uh, so uh, I d- I do have my cell phone with me, of course. Uh, it's actually what I use for uh, my GPS. Uh, I've got the uh, the Scenic Motorcycle app uh, I downloaded, and that's what I put the uh, the GPX files in, and then it, it guides me around uh, the loop. Um, and like I say, for a good bit of the time, I got uh, good cell coverage, but I also carried the spot. And, you know, if I have bad cell coverage and I needed to be recovered, I can... Uh, can text my wife and uh, and she could see the location and know where I'm at and come get me. Uh, or, you know, worst case scenario, you can hit the SOS button and somebody else will come get you if mm-hmm. you need it. So, But your wife is out on her own adventure riding her bicycle. So would she have cell coverage or, or, or does she have a spot? Uh, no, she doesn't. Uh, well, I actually do have a, another spot. She did carry it with her, but it's only the uh, the old one I had that's, that's not two-way communication. I'd send it with her for her, for her safety, just in case she was to, uh, to, to need it. Um, but, uh, you know, I always just kind of thought that anything I got into, like if I needed to be recovered and I didn't have good cell coverage, even if it took her a couple of hours to get back to the van and then check her phone, you know, to, you know, cause usually that's where, you know, within a couple of hours, usually she always makes sure you got cell coverage somewhere or, or a lot of the state parks are really good now where they have a Wi-Fi coverage where, you know, you can, you can, you can check in. So uh, I knew that, you know, if I had broken down and she was out riding and didn't have good cell coverage that she would still be able to, you know, it, it wouldn't be but a couple of hours and she would check her messages and, and would see it. So, so what but that's kind of the would, plan we had. Would you send her a GPS location and then she's got to figure out how to get this four wheel drive sprinter in to get you? Uh, yeah, uh, that would be it. Or, you know, I could text her kind of more, general information on where to meet me, you know, but yeah, cause you know, really there's, there's nothing that I went and I, and there were some pretty gnarly spots. I wouldn't want to take my sprinter in, you know, voluntarily, mm-hmm. but there was nothing that if I had to, that you could get in there, you could get in there with the sprinter just about every road we took. So, oh, I see. Okay. So um, she, it, so it's all possible. And you knew this in advance that, that it was yeah. all possible that she could actually come and rescue. And it'd be pretty simple rescue really at that point. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, that's the great thing also about the, uh, the little DR350 is, you know, you can just, you know, pick it up and put it on the hitch carrier and, and, and be gone. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, uh, we draw a few uh, strange looks sometimes when we're loading that V-Strom on the back of it. If we're at a campground and we're loading the V-Strom back up, it's uh, it's not as easy in some spots and other spots. So a lot of people, they look and they uh, they question why we're putting that big motorcycle on the back of that van. <laughs> uh, sure. But with the DR, yeah, the DR is so light. It's, it's you know, I, I mean, it's it's basically the perfect size for that hitch carrier too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's powerful enough that to get me where I want to go, I ride on the highway about 60 miles an hour uh, on it. 
Uh, it's big enough that, you know, she and I can ride two up if we need to go somewhere. Uh, and, you know, so it, it really works out great. But yeah, that was the plan all along is that if I, if I did have a breakdown, uh, I could give her a call and she could come, uh, she could come help me recover. And, you know, I was hoping that that wouldn't be the case. And I, I was lucky. I, I, not only did I finish without breaking down, I didn't even drop the bike on the whole trip. So I was, I was pretty proud of that. There were two or three two or three times when I thought I was going to lose that record because the sand was, uh, was really deep and it, it got a little squirrely, but I, I managed to always keep it upright. Nice. <laughs> you, you know, I don't know if you've, you've looked or if you've, if you've noticed that the new iPhone that, that came out, the iPhone, I think is 14, it has satellite communication built into it. Now, not quite like your spot, but if you get in an, in, a, in trouble and you want to do a 911 press, basically a, like an emergency press that it does that from your cell phone. I have not seen that, but that is a, that's, you know, that's great. That's, that's actually. It's a bit of a game changer uh, first, especially for the first two years, they're not charging for it and they, they oh, may never awesome. charge for it, but for the, I guess they're trying it out, but for two years, they're not going to charge for it. So you can go out and, and basically use this thing as your backup. So you save the money that you would be spending for any service, whether it's a Leo or, or um, spot or whatever, uh, or in reach, you know, and, and then have it built in your phone. I mean, that's, that's a, better, a game changer. And I can imagine once Apple's done it, it's going to work its way through the Android system as well. Yeah, that, that is great. Because like I say, I've had a spot for, for 10 or 12 years now. I've often thought what a piece of, of safety equipment it is. The, the added thing with the spot is, I'm thinking, is that even, especially when you're going to Europe or, or on any trip, is the tracking. Because you mentioned that you have it set up for tracking. And, and that way that your, your, your people at home, your loved ones, whatever, who are, are interested in you getting back safely even if you can't get out that emergency signal, they can at least track you and say, look at, this is where he is or was at this time. And that, um, that changes the game in, in an emergency. Yeah. That's, that's half the battle, especially like, you know, on, on a lot of the trips that I took when you'd be, you know, we'd go 2000, 3000 miles in two weeks, uh, and, and be out of, you know, you know, communication that whole time that you're right. It does at least, at least if they had a last known tracking position and, and then they didn't hear from you that, you know, they, they would know where to start looking anyway. So I've always thought that's a great safety feature. So I'm really glad to hear that the, the, the new Apple uh, has that satellite. Capability. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see that where that goes. So this whole new style trip you've done here now with the sprinter van and your wife going and doing her adventure and you doing your adventure. Is this something you're going to do again? Was it a success? Both happy with it? Yeah, I think we were. I, th I think we really were happy with it. And uh, I, I think it's probably something we will do again. I would like to probably do some of the uh, the BDR uh, and some of the, the Trans-America Trail as well. And, and we would probably do it in the same fashion uh, where where we would just have, you know, meet up at camp uh, the, the, the next night because she's very comfortable driving the van. Uh, and like I say, she's got something she can do. She can take the, uh, she can take a gravel bike and, and go ride, or, you know, we like to hike and, and, and sightsee as well. So there's things she can do along the way. And then if I'm out, uh, either by myself or with other folks riding bikes, we just meet at camp that night. It really is convenient. Like, as you said before, not having to pack your bike to capacity and, and being able to go out and enjoy your ride, uh, it, not with, you know, not being on an overloaded bike, it really works out great. And what about SCAR, the South Carolina adventure route? Was that a success? Is that, is that a great route? Would you recommend it? Oh, that was that's a, that's a success, and it's definitely a, a great route. I would definitely recommend it. 
we'll put a link in the show notes, of course, uh, for the South Carolina adventure route. But I love these routes because to me, it's like, because uh, I know you can go out and you can ride wherever you want and you can make your own route. But there's something about following a route that somebody's made that there's sort of a thrill to it. You know, they've already searched out these places that might be challenging or interesting, et cetera, and then go and explore that route. I, I just sort of like that. And I think it's nice to have... Um, I hate to say excuse, but an excuse or a destination or an idea as you head out for a ride. It really is. And that's kind of what this trip was to me. It was really exciting for me. Like I say, you know, when I finished it, it really felt like an accomplishment. It really felt like I had done something. I mean, you know, I don't want to compare it to, you know, like guys that like through hike the AT. I mean, that, that's something huge. That's, that's something that takes a special kind of person to do. So I, I won't, I won't, compare it to something like that, but it was almost that same feeling. It was like, you've accomplished something. Cause I asked Chris Cox that, you know, that, that started the, the scar. I asked how many people do you think have done this on a motorcycle? And he said, probably less than 20. So I think that's kind of a, a unique, uh, you know, oh, I see. So group to be in. Right. So it's an adventure route for anything. Four wheel drives, I guess, mainly four wheel drives at this point. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, you, you know, you ride in Europe, you've ridden, I think over 21 countries or something, something like that. You've been riding for a long time and now you're still coming up with new ideas for adventures. I just think that's, that's great. And and Sean, thank you very much for for sharing this. I I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Jim. I appreciate you having me on again. You know, I can say anything we can do to promote our sport. uh, I I think we all need to, you know, we all need to take advantage of of those uh, opportunities because, you know, that's, it, it, it doesn't take but one generation of, of folks not being into things like this for it to go away. So we need to always remember that, that, you know, always be a good steward for your sport. Always support, you know, younger folks coming along and, and any opportunity you can get to, you know, especially, you know, I, I've gotten so much into dual sport and adventure riding now that, you know, hey, it, it doesn't take but, you know, a little bit of... Uh, laps that for folks to, to make it where you can't ride in certain places. So, so I'm, I'm very pleased uh, to, to do this and I'm so glad you gave me the opportunity to, to be on again. That was Sean Birch from his home in Edgeville, South Carolina. We've got some photos of Sean and his setup with the Sprinter van in the show notes as well. There's a link to the episode that we had Sean on before that I mentioned at the start. All that's in the show notes for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Now we're going to take a short break. I have a few things I want to tell you about. When we come back, we've got the captain of a 165-foot super yacht that listens to Adventure Rider Radio on the long, dark ocean crossings. And then the first thing he does when he gets to his destination is unload the motorcycles. Stay with us. If you've ever had cold feet, you know how frustrating that can be for riding a motorcycle. There is a cure You only need to get it once. It requires no charging. There's no cords to connect. It's just what I always like to think of as as good old-fashioned quality. The kind of quality that you can count on. So you forget about it. You just put it on and you forget about it because you know that it will be there for you. And what I'm talking about here is Pearly's Possum Socks. Pearly's Possum Socks are made specifically for motorcycle riding. They're made of a blend of merino wool and possum fur weaved into a sock that is meant specifically for riding motorcycles. I like the tall ones. They go all the way up to the top of my riding boots. They prevent chafing. They're super comfortable and they keep my feet warm. And really importantly, they don't stink after hard use. And the reason they don't stink is because 
the fibers that they use to make the Pearly's Possum socks, the Possum Fur and Merino Wool, they have natural antibacterial qualities in them. So they just don't stink. I mean, you wear them day after day, if you do, and you'll be amazed. Not only that, they keep your feet warm and they keep your feet comfortable. Incredible socks. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com is a website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com. Every rider wants to be a better rider. I mean, we all want to improve our skills. And the only way to do that is to learn the steps and then get out there and spend time riding, practicing what you've learned. It's kind of like exercise. You can't just pay somebody to do it for you. It doesn't work that way. There is no shortcut to success. But there are some things you can do. And there's one thing in particular, and that's having a key piece of equipment on your bike. You can ride just about any bike, but you need to be able to speak to the bike and have it listen. And what I'm talking about is using your feet on your foot pegs to speak and having the bike respond. And only a quality set of foot pegs that are designed just for that purpose will get you the most out of your connection. Get what the pros ride on, and that's IMS Products foot pegs. IMS has a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs that are designed for riders by riders, tested and refined by riders and racers. They make extra wide ADV1 and ADV2 pegs and more, including their core series, all made of cast certified stainless steel, all heat treated, all made in the USA, and all warranted for life. IMSproducts.com is a website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. We're very lucky as motorcyclists to have a one-stop shop for motorcycle books, and that's called RoadDogPub.com. Road Dog is a publishing company started by motorcyclist and author Mike Fitterling. Mike decided to build Road Dog Pub into a motorcycle book publishing company printing and promoting just motorcycle books. Road Dog Pub has loads of titles, loads of great titles. The latest one is called The Tom Report, Seattle to Santiago on Motorcycle. Now, tell me if this quote from doesn't grab your attention. Quote, these are not bedtime stories. If reading the rough spots from this journey is getting you down, then try riding them. Pick up a lonely planet if my realities are too harsh because this is an adventure. Now hold on tight. Unquote. That's the Tom Report by Tom Router. Now, all of Road Dog publication books are available either from their website at RoadDogPub.com or any good bookstore. But anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. RoadDogPub.com. Just before we go on to the the super yacht story, I just want to, for one quick second here, bend your ear. Adventure Rider Radio is the original and longest running adventure motorcycle and travel podcast, and it's been produced weekly since 2014. You can count on us to be there every Thursday with a new and exciting episode. We never miss a week. And we hope that we can count on you for your support. Become a patron supporter for just five bucks a month. You get a sticker and ad-free listening. Make a one-time donation of $10 or more and you'll get a sticker. A donation of $50 gets you a shout out on our Raw show. So check it out on our website, adventureriderradio.com and click on support. My name is uh, Scott DeMello. I'm originally from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and I'm a uh, private yacht captain. Scott, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks for having me. 
you're a private yacht captain. Can, can you talk about that? What, what is that? Yeah, so I was in the Coast Guard when I was in my 20s. And then I worked on a ferry boat right when I got out of the service. And the captain of the ferry boat used to be a yacht captain. And he was telling me all these stories about traveling the Caribbean. And so after the ferry boat season ended, I went to Florida. And that was in 97. And I got a job as a deckhand on a private yacht. And yeah, so it's been 20 plus years. And I've worked my way up to um, captain uh, after going back to school and everything. And basically, I I run a, a big private vessel for a, a wealthy group of people. And we travel everywhere from Mediterranean to Central America, Alaska, around the U.S. This is considered a super yacht? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, uh, they say anything over like 80 feet is classified as a super yacht. Mm. Um and now they're building like boats up to like four, 500 feet, um, which is like a new classification called like Giga Yacht. And <laughs> that's a whole nother level. It's like almost cruise ship level. Um, the boat I'm on like 10 years ago was a really big boat. And now it's, we were in the med two years ago and we were like a small boat over there, which was <laughs> really? kind of weird. <laughs> so is the owner going to get a bigger boat now? Uh, no, no. He, he kind of designed this and had it built for his specifications. And like this will be in the family for as long as, uh, you know, as long as they're around. Oh, I see. So, and how many crew work on this? Uh, there's 10 of us, uh, full time. We have nine on board all the time. And then we have two, uh, chief engineers that work like a rotation schedule. Like they work six weeks on six weeks off. Wow. That's incredible. And, and I understand you listen to the show while you're piloting the boat. Oh yeah. All, all the time. Cause we do like when we cruise, like we'll, uh, recently we just did San Diego to Florida, which is a, uh, about a two week trip, including a transit of the Panama canal, but we run 24 hours a day. We don't stop. So we have like three bridge teams. So you're in the bridge, usually you and another person for, about eight hours a day and everybody just downloads podcasts and I mostly listen to, to yours. Why would you be listening to a motorcycle podcast when you're a ship captain? Um, I guess growing up, like I was really into boats, but now it's been my job for so long. Like the motorcycling is a way for me to like, just get away from it. And it's, it's, it's since we've had the bikes on the boat, especially it's like, I just want to like hit a port and just get away for, you know, whether it's a night or three nights or whatever, it's just a good release. And then I just really like listening to people's stories. And um, when you're on watch, it's just, you're looking out the window for, you know, four hours at nothingness usually. Black. Um, just yeah. <laughs> like, Cause in the ocean, there's no lights obviously. So you're not seeing anything really. I mean, you're hoping not to see anything, but you've got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, Sometimes you're in the shipping lanes and even that you only see like a ship every five or six hours. Mm. But you probably know they're coming anyway. Isn't there a traffic control on the radio or something? There's that. And then we have uh, like all the bigger boats now have transponders that send a signal out. So I have a computer screen that will list like every ship around me within like 25 miles. Oh, I see. Right. 
So the the looking out the window then that's not necessarily for the ships that you're looking for like debris whatever whatever could be there. Yeah, and then like if you're running coastal especially in Central America, there's lots of uh panga, uh small like wooden fishermen out there, like wood, small wooden boats mm-hmm. and they don't show up on the radar that well and they're usually not lit until they see you, they'll throw a flashlight on. Um so you have to be pretty vigilant when you're in those waters to make sure, you know, you don't hit anybody. At what speed are you going on this on average 24 hours a day? We can run, we're just a a displacement vessel where 12 knots is like our max cruising speed Mm -hmm. at night. We're probably down in the 10 range. And then it also varies too. If there's a big current or, or weather or something like that, we might even go slower. Right. Wow. That's interesting. So how did you get to ride motorcycles? Is this something that you did when you were younger before you became a ship captain? Uh, yeah, I, I had a mini bike, I think when I was eight or nine years old, like a pull start lawnmower engine one. And then I got my first like real mini bike, which was a XR80 in like 1983. Like I begged my dad for this for, I don't know how long. And he's like, okay, if I buy you this bike, promise me you'll never buy a street bike. You can have dirt bikes, you know, for as long as you want. And, and I'm like 12 years old. So I'm like, absolutely dad. You know, I will never buy a street bike. Mm-hmm. So I didn't buy a street bike until I was in my early forties Oh, because of that, because of like, Oh really? You, you, you felt guilty. Yeah. And when I did finally buy one, like, and I called my dad and I was like, dad, I bought a, I bought a road bike. And he's like, Oh, great. I'm like, like, wait, don't you remember what you told me? He's like, I have no recollection of that. (laughs) So I was like (laughs) 30 years of thinking this, like to, you know, not go against my dad's word. And, you know, he never even thought twice about it. Right. You thought he was very serious about that point. Like that was a big deal to him when really he was just throwing it out there as one of those things to try and steer you right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. The power of words that could really hang in there. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, it's just blossomed from there. So it's been, uh, uh, about seven years, I think, uh, with road bikes and my wife and I have a garage full right now. (laughs) A garage full of motorcycles. Yeah. Yeah. We have our two boat, our two, like, our boat bikes, we call them because they get kind of beat up on the boat and we keep them covered as much as we can. But the, you know, the salt air is brutal. Now, can you go back to like, because this isn't a usual thing, taking your boat um, as a cap or taking your, your motorcycle as a, as a captain. Can you talk about the, um, the decision to even want a motorcycle and, and sort of what prompted that for you? Yeah, it was actually my, um, initially my boss, he had a, he had a dirt bike. And we knew we were going to Costa Rica for almost a year. And he was just like, what do you think we need? And I said, well, we need dirt bikes because Costa Rica is amazing for off-road. Um, so we, we bought three uh, KTMs and that was like our first set of bikes on the boat. And that was in 2014. Um, and then not until the boat went to Europe is when we, put road bikes on. My boss doesn't ride anymore, but now he's let some of the other long-term crew also have bikes. So we, I think we have six bikes on board right now. 
Oh, wow. So he said that, like, when you said you, we bought these bikes, was that him buying bikes or was that you guys? Uh, it was him. I had a, my, my bike at the time, I had a Husky 450, an older one. And he was like, just let's trade your bike in. We'll get three brand new, like fuel injected bikes and start fresh. And that's, so I, I got a new bike out of it. I mean, I, you know, my trade in value, but he took care of the rest and um, been a very generous person in my life. And then the three of you, you, your wife and the owner of the boat, you, you would go dirt biking then? Um, yeah, my wife, um, she wasn't on the boat at that time, but it was me and the first mate at the time road and my boss. So we all bought like, uh, headsets, Bluetooth headsets, and we would go up into the jungle and just, you know, get lost for the day. Just have uh, fun. Wow. Yeah. So, so this makes you think more about having a motorcycle on the boat. Yeah. And it, it became like an obsession of mine. Like I would just like go riding every single day. If I, most of the time by myself, cause not everybody was into it as much as I was. And then, uh, so I had met a guy, an expat in Costa Rica surfing one day and like an older guy, like probably almost 70. And he invited me to his place. He's like, Oh, I got some bikes. And he opens his garage and he had three KTMs and like two Ducatis. So he took me for a ride up the mountain on his, he had two 690 adventures. And after that, I went to San Jose, Costa Rica, the city, and I actually bought a road bike. So that would have been my, yeah, my first road bike on the boat, like around 2015. And then every time you're coming in somewhere, you're looking for excuses to go for a ride. Yeah. Yeah. The first thing the crew knows, like we hit the dock, bikes go over, we get them set up. It's, it's like the yacht crew, like you kind of sometimes don't know when your days are off are going to be. I'm in a good place now as being the captain. I can, you know, I make the schedule, but, um, it could be like, okay, this morning, everybody's off for the rest of the day. So if you have a bike, it's like, you don't have to call a taxi or find a bus into town. You can just throw your backpack on and just take off, get a hotel somewhere, you know, just have like a little adventure, like last minute. And you really get to see more than just like walking around the local village or something. Now you mentioned your, your wife, Molly, she works on the boat as well. Can you talk about that? Yeah. She's been on board, uh, four years now, um, as a chef. She started riding about 2015 and we've done some amazing trips together. Like a couple of years ago, we were in Barcelona and we were taking the boat to over to Croatia. So we left our bikes in Barcelona. We sailed the boat to Croatia and then we took a few days off. We flew back to Barcelona and then did like a 10 day ride through Europe Nice to Croatia uh, we just did the same thing in the U S like we had the boat out West in San Diego. We left our bikes on the East coast last year. And then we rode the Southern route across U S and then, um, we did the Northern route just recently. What a great way to do it. And, and very unique. You, you mentioned that this isn't very common for a crew to be able to bring a motorcycle on board. Uh, no, not at all. No, it's, uh, usually you're very limited on things you can bring on board. Um, and it's really vessel dependent, depends on, uh, 
really the the owners or the management company of the boat because um, space is limited on these things. But since I've been on the boat for, which is rare on the yacht to be on it for as long as I have, the same one, uh, this is my 11th year. Usually your lower crew are like a year to two, and then they'll move on to another boat. And then, you know, officers might do two to four years. Everybody's always looking to advance on like a, a bigger vessel or like if you're a deckhand and you want to move up and there's no job on your boat, you'll go to another one. But Oh, I see. Um, since I've been on this boat, I, I knew cause the owner and I just get along really well and, um, I'm no plans on going anywhere until I'm done. Wow. That's, that's great. What a, what a great situation. So I, I wanted to, I want to talk about you, you, you mentioned when you come into port and you offload the, the, uh, motorcycles right away. So I, I'm curious about this. So what you said they're on deck, they're stored on deck. Mm-hmm. How, how are they stored on deck? Just like in the, in the middle sort of thing, or where does that go? We have, uh, these two like aluminum platforms that keep them about like six inches above the deck. And this is on the second deck. So they're 20 feet above the water. Um, but just above the deck. So like seawater and stuff can just be underneath them, not on the bikes. Mm-hmm. And they're on these platforms so that they get tied down with like the pit bull trailer restraints. Uh, we used to use just straps, but the, the those work better because you don't have to use a bunch of straps, which can be a pain when you have a lot of bikes really tight together. And then we cover them each individually. And then we have a big cover that goes over all of them. And that gets all, you know, you make it as tight as you can because the, the salt air gets in everywhere. Um, and basically the reason why we like to get them off quick is because uh, one thing to wash them, but to get them off the boat so they're not in the way for the owners mm. when they come. That's what I was wondering. I, I sort of pictured that, like, get them off so they're out of sight. <laughs> yeah, because the, the last thing you want is for that one day for it to be in the wrong spot. And it's like, okay, no more bikes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you want to be. So it's like out of sight, out of mind is like. Right. You know. Even though he's fine with it, you still don't want to make it so he has to step over them sort of thing. So like, oh, I was going to move that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. So you're unloading them at, at every port and you know, you've been all over the place as yeah. far as you, you've been to Europe and, and you've been all over. So um, when you go into a port, what do you do about importing like for customs and stuff for your bikes? It really depends on the country. Um, so like a country like Costa Rica is pretty strict. Like, so when the customs agents come on board, we have to clear them in, um, almost separately. Like we have like small boats that get cleared in with the big boat, but because they're a motor vehicle, um, we have to pay separately for that. And sometimes it'll take a couple of days for them to, cause they want to come out and check the VIN numbers and everything to make sure we don't, you know, end up trying to sell them in the country. Um, mm-hmm. and then we have to buy insurance for each bike. And you also have to, so the owner, like I can't clear in even my wife's bike because it's under her name. So like everybody has to kind of have their own paperwork in order. I guess it would be similar to like driving over the border, which I've never done in Costa Rica. And then you get like the 90 day stamp. But like in Mexico, like Baja, like I don't do anything. I just put them down and we just go. It's a little more lawless there, I think. So you just don't worry about it, basically, is what a... Yeah, like, because I've ridden over, like, the border in Tijuana a bunch of times, and, you know, unless you're exiting the country, like, 
like south of Mexico, like they don't check, the U.S. doesn't check any paperwork coming back in. Mm-hmm. So if we went to, you know, just wanted to ride from San Diego and do a loop down through Baja and come back, like besides I just do the insurance online. Besides that, nothing really has to be done. Does this get expensive going into each country and, and having to clear it and do whatever you have to do with customs and insurance? Yeah, I mean, the I think Costa was a couple hundred bucks, but Europe was, in the EU, I would get the green card insurance for like three months at a shot, um, but there was no fee to uh, import the bikes with the, with the boat. So that wasn't really that expensive at all. No, oh, so not too bad. So, so really, if somebody wants to do what you're doing, all they have to do is become a captain of a super yacht, find some super yacht owner that will allow them to take their bikes, and then basically pay to have their bikes clear customs and done deal. Yeah, yeah, it's easy. <laughs> it's, it sounds very easy. <laughs> the the bikes sitting there on the on deck though, being covered. You mentioned about the the salt air, so so they don't actually get splashed there. Um, they will. That's why we we. If we're doing like a long trip and we know like we're not going to be able to uncover them for like a week or two weeks, we'll try to, you know, coat them with like wax or any kind of protectant, you know, that you can, the, the things that are most like susceptible to like rusting is like the disc brakes and stuff. So you can't really put anything on those, but we cover those as best we can. One of the guys actually tried to saran wrap his whole bike one time. But that just like trapped moisture in and it was, it made it worse. Mm. That could have worked maybe if you put some of those gel packs in. Yeah, those humidifier things. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. that's a good idea. So uh, out of all the places that, that you've been to, what are the, some of the ones that you've been most taken by? Um, my, One of my favorites is Montenegro. We were there over the winter for like six months and it gets cold there. But I met a local guy who rents uh, KTMs up in the mountains. So he took me up a few times on his bikes. And then in the winter, when there was too much snow, we just traveled around road riding. Um, and it's just spectacular there. And it's like, there's no, outside of the main little villages in the water, there's no tourism. So it's really cheap, beautiful mountains, like um, camping. Yeah, it's amazing. And then you're right next to Croatia. And then just south of that is uh, Albania. So you mentioned camping there. So you're, you're loading your bike up. You're heading off on mini adventures. So what kind of lengths, what, t- what kind of time? Probably the longest time we've done is like uh, 10 days. And that's like, a, you know, a mix of hostels, hotels, and camping. I would like to go for longer, but I just, you know, I can't go too far away from the boat. So most of it's like, you know, like four day weekends and stuff. Now, do you have to, like, do you, is it a concern for you of, of getting hurt while you're doing this? Because you've got this boat sitting there that depends on you to move? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that could be another thing that would, could possibly end, you know, the bikes on board if I was consistently getting hurt. You know, I, I, I have a uh, tracker and with the boat, we also have a, um, a thing called MedLink. We have doctors on standby for the boat, which I can use when I'm off the boat as well. So if anything bad happened, I can call into them. Um, I, I have a tendency to go a bit slower than I would, I think, normally. Probably my wife probably doesn't think that, but um, I don't push it as hard as, you know, I could. Mm-hmm. 
did your wife start riding because of, because of you on the boat or, or how did she get on the bike? Um, no, she wanted to ride before I met her, but she always talked about it. And then she started, she bought a Grom. That was her first road bike. And then uh, just got hooked. Uh, that was, I think, 2015. And then she got uh, Bonneville. And that was the the bike she had brought to Europe. And we set that up for like with bags and a rack and everything. Um, but she had, I think she had a little mini bike when she was a, uh, a kid. Like she had two older brothers. So they played around on that. But mm. we're not old, but we're not young. She's in her 40s. I'm, I just turned 50 last year. So um, still have a lot of good years ahead of us. But we're, you know, we're, We've probably taken it a little slower. She had a bad accident a couple of years ago, which took her out for a few months. Um, but she's, she's back now. Is that on the boat? Was that from, from you guys going out of the port? <laughs> no, it's, um, so we got married three years ago and two weeks before our wedding, I thought it would be a great idea to do a three day track weekend on sport bikes. And the first day she crashed, she got hit by another bike. And she broke, like shattered her collarbone, her scapula, broke a bunch of ribs. So, right, it was like three days before the wedding, she had surgery to put the plate in her shoulder. So our wedding, she was, you know, big scar. They had to like glue her hair over her scar so it didn't show in the pictures. Oh, man. (laughs) So it was was quite the beginning to a a marriage. Mm. But she recovered fine from that, did she? Yeah. Yeah. She had to do some like shoulder therapy and stuff to get mobility back. But um, she's tough and she's, uh, she's actually back and has done some track riding. Not quite as, uh, as fast as she once was, but she's still out there and having a blast and um, still riding her dirt bike. And yeah. Yeah. So it didn't stop her from riding. No, no. Um, Actually, our trip from San Diego uh, back to Pennsylvania this summer, I rode my big bike. I have a Multistrada now, a V4. And she rode a Triumph Daytona sport bike across the whole country. Oh. So I carried all the luggage, you know, and she had fun on all, all the twisty roads, but I can't ride a sport bike more than like 25 minutes and my back is like killing me. Mm, right. When you're, um, th- when you get your, your, your orders of, of where you're going, is it always a surprise that, or, or do you sort of know in advance? Yeah. I guess I work pretty closely with the owners, uh, picking like new spots. Um, and we hit a lot of the same ones. Um, but I'll know, you know, probably a good month or so in advance of the basic area we're going to go to, maybe not the actual port. So when you're picking the spot, you're looking for what? A place that's good to ride your motorcycle in <laughs> and then maybe they can catch some fish? Yeah. Well, well, in my mind, yeah, but I, I, it's always fishing first, you know, and then like, then I start looking for like, oh, is there a twisty road near here or is there some, you know, off-road or camping or, or whatnot? So um, how has this changed things for you as far as riding? Has this sort of fueled your passion for riding it being the, the ability to go to different places all the time. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely spoiled me. Cause like when I'm home now, I mostly just jump on my dirt bike because I've seen all the roads around like our town here. 
whereas a few years ago, I would always go out, you know, to explore a little bit, but knowing that I'm going to be in some amazing place, like, you know, like the Pacific Northwest or, or Mexico or something, I kind of save those rides for like the boat stuff. And I'm always on maps looking, you know, at places we could go that have good riding. And we've gone to, uh, have you heard of the Azores? Mm-hmm. So we went there and that's where my ancestors are from. So I was very excited to go there. And I looked on the, you know, the Google earth and it was like, it looked amazing. And then I got there and it was like the best motorcycle community like ever on this little Island. And they oh, brought really? us to, this is tours. in the Atlantic, right? North Atlantic. Yeah. Yeah. It's about half, well, a little more than halfway across to like the, like the Portugal, Spanish coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even the place we go a lot is the Bahamas and like a lot of the islands that we stay at for weeks at a time are kind of abandoned. Nobody's out there. And there's not, besides, you know, we do some scuba diving and fishing and stuff, but land-based stuff, there's not a lot to do. So last time before we left the States, we bought a couple of pit bikes. And then on this island, we set up like a, a little track, a dirt track. And then the crew went out in the afternoon and we'd have like, uh, like little mini bike races. <laughs> no. It just sounds like such an incredible lifestyle that, that you have right now for riding. Anybody who rides a motorcycle and is interested in seeing different places. Wow. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've been blessed to see, you know, so many places in you know, a fairly short time. So when you're, when you're done, when you retire, what, what will you do? Um, I personally would like to do it around the world. I don't know if my wife wants to do that, but you never know by then. I mean, it's not maybe another 10 years. So I think it'll be kind of physical shape I'm in and the state of the world and stuff like that. But I'd like to do like the, you know, the road of bones in Mongolia and all that. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of fueled by you getting these little snippets of all these different places. Yeah. You get, you know, before you visit places, like, you know, a lot of travelers know it's, you have all these people telling you it's super dangerous there and, you know, all the bad stuff. But when you get there, it's usually like, it's wonderful. And it's like the nicest people. Everybody wants to help you, especially a biker too. Like the middle of like, like Bosnia, um, pulling into like a hotel and they're like, Oh, you're on a bike. Yeah. Bring your bike right in the hotel here. Like it'll mm-hmm. be safe inside. It's yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. I love it. You often hear people say this, travelers say this, that, you know, people are, are so great everywhere they go. It kind of says that people are just the same, right? I mean, it's not so much that they're great in other countries. It's just that no matter where you go, you're finding people are pretty much the same. They want the same sort of things. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh majority of people are, you know, want to help and they're, you know, very friendly and are excited to have a visitor into their town or village or, you know, however big or small, just to you know, be like, this is what we have to offer, you know, come and check it out. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to ask you because you're saying about storing the bikes on the boat. I wanted to see if you had some tips for people who might find themselves in that situation, because I know that that's a lot of people used to use the stall rat. I don't know if it's, if it's going to get going again or, or whatever version they use for, for crossing the, or going around the Darien Gap and having your bike on, on board or on uh, ex- exterior of, of a boat, um, obviously, like you said, the salt water can be really bad for it. Salt air can be really bad for it. So do you have any things that you've learned both for storage and for even, you know, getting the boat on and off in and out of countries, things like that? 
Uh, for, for storage, I find the chain is one of the worst things for rusting. So instead of like just like a chain lube, I'll put like a, the more of like the paste on, like the heavy paste. Mm-hmm. Um, really coat it well. Um, you know, make sure you clean most of it off before you start riding because it, it'll sling everywhere. Um, coat all the plastics with like, uh, I think we use Plexus. Um, I tried once to like leave a wax on, which made it worse. It's just better just to. You, you mean know, without buffing it off? Yeah. Oh. Um, and I think because a bit of the moisture just made it like, uh, like, you know, it got gummy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just found it best to, you know, give it a good wax. You know, it's easy just to do that last ride and then just like throw it up there without doing much. And that's, you know, if you leave any mud or anything on it, it's just going to be, you know, that much worse when you go to take it down. Because everything in the mud corrodes. Yeah. 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 So I think that the cleanest you can get it, you know, coat things you can. I usually will disconnect my battery because I've had numerous batteries just uh, go dead because I haven't done that. So and sometimes we'll even take the batteries out and we'll bring them into like our engineering area, you know, so we can keep them on like a, a tender. Mm-hmm. Wow. That sounds like you have an ideal setup and I can see why you're so motivated to get out there and ride. Well, Scott, thank you very much for, for telling your story. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Speaking with super yacht captain Scott DeMello, stationed temporarily in port, awaiting orders for his next destination, which of course will include unloading his motorcycle, possibly somewhere new. Lucky guy. Now, if you're curious about this super yacht, we've got some photos in the show notes for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. You really got to see this thing. Also are some pics of Scott and his wife and how they load and store the bikes on the ship. Check it out in the show notes at adventureriderradio.com. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer Elizabeth Martin and of course to you thank you for being a listener and enjoying the show and and making the whole thing possible because we certainly need listeners to make the show work. Um, If you're not doing it already and already asked once but if you're not doing it we would love support drop our website, click on the support button. The other thing you can do is share it with your friends, share it on social media, let other people know, or, and drop by wherever you get your podcasts, and particularly particularly iTunes um, or Podbean or wherever it is, and give us a, hopefully a five-star rating. That's what I'm asking for. It's a five-star rating. That helps other people find the show. 
So anyway, I really appreciate that. And it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening and I'll talk to you next week. Hello, here is Herbert Schwarz and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 